Welcome to the Start Up to Something podcast. I'm Mark. And I'm Matt. This is our weekly update where we share the ups and downs of building and growing our bootstrapped online businesses. And sometimes we ramble on about tech. Hey Matt, how's it going? It's going very well. Oh man, I'm having a I'm having I had an amazing week, weekend. Like I'm really I'm feeling very good today. Nice. Yeah. So so you haven't been out there yet today. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> yeah, I walked the dog this morning. It was freezing. It was horrible. Seriously. <laughs> it's, we're in that stage where you go to the coat rack and there's four different coats and you're like, which one do I wear? How cold is it? Yeah, exactly. Oh, God damn I it. still have my winter boots in the hallway because you never know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, my sneakers have been soaked through a bunch of times in the last like three weeks. So I still have the boots out too. But despite that, you're in a good mood. Oh, I'm in a great mood. Yeah. 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 Awesome. Do tell. Yeah. So, I mean, really just like personally in the last probably three, four weeks, there's just been a lot going on and we figured all of it out immediately like over the weekend we were moving this year so we've been trying to find an apartment and we've been threading the needle of the right budget and the right location and what we want we found a place and they accepted us so we're super pumped we oh nice finally have an apartment you forget how much time you spend like on facebook on kgg and uh, you know sidebar facebook is now the place to find apartments apparently the really? in, the inventory there is amazing. Um, they really took the uh, like the Padmapper approach. Like I, re- I remember when Padmapper was popular. Right. Now there's like nothing there, but Facebook does the same sort of like map and price listing um, mashup kind of thing. But yeah, every night going in, going through all that day's inventory, trying to figure out what's new, what's been reposted, what do I want to see, coordinating to meet people running around town we're moving across town so it's like every time you want to go see a place it's at least 30 minutes or 40 so but it's done it's done we don't have to do it anymore awesome so where uh moving to your hood man awesome yeah (laughs) we're we're outside snowden metro um like the it's tip it's technically called uh and uh cdn ndg go to slash ndg i didn't realize that was a neighborhood but yeah yeah, that's the name, the official name of the borough. Mm. But we still, we still call them different. They're different neighborhoods. Like, oh, okay. So you're probably in Kodena-ish. Probably. Yeah, we're closer to the Snowden Metro, so we're yeah. nice. So yeah, it's uh, we love the place. It's great size, great value. So that's awesome. Um, as soon as we, you know, we were in Halifax and we came back, and as soon as we came back, both my wife and I's backs were killing us from sleeping in our bed. I, I don't know what happened, but like we just couldn't take the bed anymore. So we needed to go out and get a new bed. So we have a new bed coming this week. Um, yeah, just it's so nice to just have all these like comfort things just out of your mind. You don't have to. It's taking up all that psychological room. Done with that shit. Don't need it anymore. <laughs> Shred is pretty much done at this point. Really? Yep. I've um, I have one client. I just need to meet with them and the consultants. The consultants will draw up the final iteration, and that's done. And then my other client, uh, I'm speaking with the consultants this week, and they'll do up the final drafts, and I'll review everything, and then we'll submit. So you know, by the end of the week, that should be done. But really, at least from my side, I'm in a holding pattern with all of that. I'm just waiting on other. My writing is done. I just need to talk with consultants and get it all submitted so 
uh, you know, I've been talking about taking a vacation and and what that looks like and how FBARS plays with that. And, you know, offline, you and I were talking last week, but uh, I've really been putting a lot of thought into it. And I think, yeah, I think it's time to put a bullet into FBARS. I, I realize, like, it's just not the business for me. Like, you know, I just don't know enough expats. I'm not an expat. I, I don't care enough about their problems. I'm an engineer. I want to be an engineer. I want to hang out with engineers. Like, that's... That's where I, that's where my heart is. Okay. Uh, and I spent no like you posed an awesome question to me last time. You know, thinking about it in a sunk cost way of like, did you if you hadn't written F bars if the code wasn't there and you had to choose between that and some engineering idea, like which one would you choose? It's like oh the engi- like talking with engineers like obviously it's like <laughs> well then maybe that's what you should do like <laughs> oh yeah that's a good point. So yeah I so the nice thing is. It's taking up, I didn't realize how much mental space that was taking up of just like, oh, I'm working on Shred and I want to I want to finish this so I can work on FBARS. And then when I decided, you know what, FBARS, nah, it's cool. Just not going to bother with it. All of a sudden, I'm, I feel very light. Like, oh, yeah. yeah, I can just, I can sleep again. I can, yeah, I can go off and do whatever I want. I don't have to spend time thinking about this thing. So yeah, I know, I know the feeling. Like, you feel paralyzed by it. You feel like if I should be working on something right now, it should be on this, mm-hmm. but I don't feel like it, so I work on absolutely nothing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's that that inner fight of just like it's not really, I'm not entertained by it. I'm not having fun with it. I just, ugh. yeah, and then it just leads to bad feelings. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So yeah, oh, good for good for you. I, I mean, that's not an easy decision to make. Thanks. Yeah, no, I I feel like um, honestly one of the big things I've been thinking about is just justifying it. Like, you know, we come on a podcast, I talk with you and it's like, you know, I don't, I don't want to like look like a quitter or, or anything like that. Right. Like, you know, I, cause thinking about it, like, you know, I really didn't put that much effort into building or into launching and finding customers and that sort of thing based mainly on time of year. But also, I don't know, like it ended up being interest in the business. I think like it just wasn't clamoring for my interest. It was more like a, a, a weight of guilt than it was anything else of, oh, I should be doing this. Not necessarily, oh, I want to do it, or I have a keen interest in it. It was more opportunistic than anything else, which is not bad. It just wasn't capturing my attention. Yeah. I think, yeah, I think what caught your attention was building it. It mm-hmm. was like, wow, okay, here's, I can use, what's that service called? Oh, Plaid. Plaid. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, oh, cool. I can use Plaid. I can build something. Oh, I'll use a Tailwind UI. That's going to be awesome. Yeah. And yeah, the cool thing was I learned a lot. I learned a ton about how to put something like this together, and especially from the technology part, um, but also from the marketing part. I learned a, I learned a ton. Um, yeah. So I can take that and just yeah recycle it into what my next project will be and figure out what that's going to be. So yeah. So now the cool thing is I'm wrapping shred. Um, now that FBars is gone, I'm kind of looking at my week, <laughs> and it's very empty. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, so I'm kind of thinking, all right, well, maybe this is where, maybe I just go on vacation for two weeks, like really only commit to, um, I have a few meetings this week, some consulting stuff, you know, real, really sporadic, but just play some video games, go on a walk, like, you know, just do some relaxing things in place of just, you know, working while I sniff out what it is I want to do next. Um, so I'm trying not to think too much about what I want to do next. Uh, I've got some ideas. But I want to rest, and I feel yeah. like taking the figuring out what rest looks like for me right now is is probably the most important thing. So yeah, I've been 
at least over the weekend, I was playing around with just thinking, oh, I haven't written any code in a little while. It'd be kind of nice to mess around and try writing some code and that sort of thing. Right. So, yeah, I've been thinking about, oh, it'd be kind of fun to learn a new technology, maybe pick up a new language and see what it's like to go to production with something like that. It would also help if I wanted to do some freelancing. It would be nice to pick up, a, my JavaScript isn't great, but it'd be nice to be able to hack together a usable UI um, a little better and apply some of the uh, user experience and design things that I've been learning about. Uh, yeah, but I mean, ultimately, like, I'm just trying not to put a lot of pressure on myself. I just want to do fun things. Like, I, as I was <laughs> as I was writing the code, I was thinking about you of just being like, I've been marketing for so long. This sucks. I'm not having any fun. I want to write some goddamn code. And just being like, yeah, man, go do something fun. I'm like, I was thinking, yeah, I want to do something but, fun. But I also said that was terrible startup advice. Oh, yeah, yeah. Dis- <laughs> on the record. Yeah, dis- yeah. Oh, no, yeah. But, I, yeah, disclaimer. <laughs> Mark very responsibly took a break from marketing full time to do some fun coding. Yeah, for mental health. Yeah, for his mental health. Yeah, it was prescribed to me. Yes, exactly. So yeah, I I'm just trying to figure out what I'm going to do this week. I think I'm going to play around a little bit more with uh, some a small JavaScript project. I'd like to hack around, and I think one of the things I learned during FBars was that I. I was spending so much time rushing. I wasn't building really good, um, I don't even know what the term is, like pre-styled components or at least reusable components. I was re- I was ripping it, like just <laughs> putting HTML everywhere. Like I knew my, my technical design wasn't great, but it's something I'd like to play around with a little bit, just learn a little bit better um, or at least some better principles. Um, and then probably play some Stellaris. I don't know. <laughs> It's supposed to rain this week, so I don't know what we'll do. So, so your wife is still working this yep. week, though? Yep. Okay, so this is really just a mat vacation. Oh, this is a mat vacation. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I've been thinking a lot about, well, I'm, I've been trying not to think about what I'm going to do next. But, uh, you know, I've been riding the, the subway so much, trying to think, like, there's not much to do except think about what you want to do next while you're riding the metro. And... I took some time and reread. Uh, so Michelle Hansen from uh, Startup Social, so- Startup so- Software Social, Software Social. Well, that's yeah. Anyway, so she, so she um, she runs this awesome newsletter um, about you know talking to people, like customer interviews, customer research. And I went back and I've been rereading all of her issues of her newsletter, and I realize how. God, like I really miss talking to people, like talking to other devs and that sort of thing. I feel like I've been doing exactly the opposite of that and just building in my own little world, in my own little closet for so long and realizing that, oh, there's so much mining to do out there of just like talking with people and understanding what they're trying to do and how they feel about it and all the different aches and pains that come with with being a developer in, you know, in 2021. Right. And I was realizing like, you know, it's so funny how quickly we lose perspective on what our coworkers were doing, or I, you know, I'm, I'm only recently, I only recently took the, the full-time dive to do this. And I already forget what it's like to deploy to production in a team of 40 developers. Oh, what does it look like in the day-to-day process, day-to-day? Like, what does a PR look like? What does code review really look like? What are we looking for? Like, I've already forgotten what a lot of this is. So it's interesting to like hear, to read about her tips for talking with people and it really has me thinking, like, maybe what I, my, whatever approach I take next, I've talked a little bit about maybe writing about, like, 
software feelings because I, I love that topic. I think it's interesting. But I think just chatting with more people, meeting with more engineers, meeting with more people, and just, you know, doubling down on the relationships that I have and meeting more technical people that are doing interesting things and having that be the basis of whatever I do next. Yeah. So, yeah, that's really been the, that's been the theme of, of what's been going on in my mind, at least. Yeah, like getting back to my technical roots and yeah, talking to people. I miss people. I never thought I'd miss an office, <laughs> going to an office where people are. But there's a lot of value in just like shooting the shit over coffee or playing ping pong or just having a laugh. <laughs> right. Or, or, or griping with your, with your colleagues. <laughs> I can't believe Matt did this. God damn it. He's an idiot. Like, I don't, you know, just, it's nice to, nice to vent sometimes. Yeah. Whenever someone would, would fuck up in production, they would have to buy donuts for everyone the next day. Nice. Like, that was, that was fun. How big, uh, how big of a team were you on when you were in that well, situation? When I started at that company, I was the first uh, dev hire they did. So yeah. there were three, there were three co-founders. Uh, so it was really a small startup. Okay. So it was, I was the first dev they hired. And they hired, a, and then they hired two salespeople. They already had one salesperson, salespeople slash customer support. Mm-hmm. So it was really small. So, so in those days when when we grew to maybe ten developers or twenty developers, that's that's when yeah we would buy donuts whenever someone messed up. Okay. Uh, but then the startup uh, had an IPO and then grew exponentially to like I think we were three hundred employees. Crap. Or four hundred employees, and then yeah, then then it was a complete different company. Yeah, okay. It doesn't even compare. It's like working at two different places. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm just imagining when I was at Upgrade, like oh yeah, somebody across the <laughs> across the organization screwed up, and then I just get a donut for it. It's like <laughs> I'm gonna start building landmines into the code. I can't wait for you to buy me donuts. Right. <laughs> yeah, I miss that small. The, those early days there of being a startup and working side by side with one of the technical co-founders mm. yeah those were those were great times yeah but then when it became big faceless corporation and uh, the co-founders were all kicked out oh no and, way yeah yeah they were all eventually just kicked out and they were replaced with these career C-level managers right and yeah then it just yeah it was just horrible yeah brutal yeah so then yeah i mean that's one of the reasons why i left because at the end i was just miserable and i was like well i can either start a startup myself Mm -hmm. or go work for a startup but then it was like but uh, if i go work for a startup isn't it just going to be the same thing over and over again Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's going to be fun and then it's going to grow too big and then i won't be happy Mm -hmm. and there's also the the I, I got to see the co-founders leave as multi-millionaires. Wow. And, you know, I did not leave with that. <laughs> uh. Right? It's like, you see, you know, they get all the all the upside. Mm-hmm. I mean, they they definitely put a lot on on the line, so they had a lot of downside, but but they get all the upside. And as, as an employee, you know, that's not part of the deal. You just get your salary and... Mm-hmm. So I, I said, no, I need to start my own thing. I need to, I need to see that upside myself. Right? Totally, totally. Anyways, that's a tangent, but <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, like, I, I look back very fondly with to the times when 
when I was working at Upgrade, the we I, I was one of the first ones hired in Montreal. Uh, I was like number four or something like that. We opened the office together. And yeah, the, the days when we were a small team of like 10, 12, and there were one or two guys beside me and we would we were working very closely on one project. It was it really felt like standing in a circle and throwing a ball back and forth. Like it really yeah. it was such a tight such a tight team. We we had a lot of fun. We had a lot of fun. Yeah, us too. And th- there was no red tape. Like yeah. it was just you know, you had an idea, like you just three people would jump on it and it'd be in production like that same week. Yeah. Ah oh, yeah. So cool. So cool. Yeah. yeah. That's one of the things. It, it's very interesting, actually. Like, I, I, I got to experience it a little bit with F bars. Um, how far things have come. Like, I've always worked in companies with, almost, like, yeah, it's red, it's red tape. Like, you know, it's, it's difficult to deploy, deploy to, to production. Like, I, I was never able to do it. There was always a process where it needed to pass QA, go through several environments, and then it could go to production. But when I was playing with F bars, like the tooling now about rapid deployment to production is pretty amazing. Like it's very cool. So now yeah. I'm finally getting a bite of that apple. I'm like, I'm like, oh, this is pretty sexy. Like I, <laughs> I've worked in, te- I thought I worked in technology businesses, but like we never moved this quick. <laughs> so yeah, I'd love to dig in a little bit more to some of these products that are out there and just yeah, like. As silly as it sounds, like CI/CD pipelines that actually deploy to production is is very interesting. Like, yeah, super cool. <laughs> so yeah, so this week you're gonna play around with some tech and play video games. <laughs> yeah, I think so. I'm 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 deciding what tech I want to play with, and I'd love your opinion. Actually, I've been considering picking up. So I, I like. I mean, I love. Uh, I really want to get a lot better with JavaScript and I have some experience with React and that kind of thing. So I'd like to learn a bit more of the fundamentals there, that kind of thing. And then I've been considering picking up a new uh, backend language. Um, I mean, I was thinking about Node, giving it a try. Um, I've been, one of my clients is doing a lot of GraphQL and I'm like, oh, this is kind of a cool technology. Like I understand it now at an arm's length, but I kind of want to get my hands dirty with it. I think that's really interesting. And then I've been considering, yeah, like do I want to... Uh, maybe I want to give Ruby a try and do the whole Rails thing. Just thinking about, um, you know, as not as a fallback, but uh, if I want to do freelancing in the future, um, I don't see a lot of advertisements for Java freelancers. No. <laughs> Typically it's Node or <laughs> Rails. So I've been considering picking up one of them and just learning some of the fundamentals so that I can sit down and start to get an idea of what it takes to take something like that to production. Um, security is always one of the things that scares me most about taking any new framework or anything like that to production. So it's always the that's always the part that that's the most I don't know like labor intensive I guess or knowledge intensive. You just have to read so much to know. Yeah. So yeah, it's it, you don't know what you don't know. So, but yeah, I don't know. What do you think? Like, what's what's hot? What has your attention these days? I'm not, I'm I'm not a very good person on this subject. because yeah? I it's very rare that I'll learn a new language or technology mm-hmm. just for the fun of it. Mm. I'm, I'm a lot more interested in building something mm. than learning that technology. Yeah. And and I really, at this point, I have no aspirations of ever getting a job. <laughs> so I really <laughs> don't care about my, my CV. <laughs> totally, yeah. yeah. 
So, so yeah, so I've been using Rails now for, I guess, 15 years. Okay. Like, it's just, it, I was, I was, I was a Java developer before that. And Java web development sucked. Like, it, <laughs> it, it probably still sucks today. Oh, it's horrible. Well, back I mean, then, yeah. it was horrible. It was just horrible. Were you doing, so, like, JSP and JSF? Like, that kind of thing? Well, I mean, I, when, in this is when I was working for that startup. Mm. Like, I mean, when we first started, like, it was, this was like 25 years ago, right? So, like, there were no f- web frameworks. So, basically, we, ha- we had CGIs. So oh. Like, so, the web server was executing these, these executables sure. right? and they were generating HTML. So, at first, I think our first version was VB. Like, mm. which you know vb is not even designed for making <laughs> command line cgis right yeah but uh it's just it's a language that everyone knew so it's like all right let's just go with it mm-hmm. but then we did this big migration to java because oh the performance was way better and and uh, my my f- co-founder well the, the founder of the company he he i mean he liked c and c plus mm-hmm. but he he was afraid that if he hired too many junior developers, there'd be too many errors. Sure. Yeah. Like, it, you know, you can have too many problems where you make an error with your pointer arithmetic and then you're like... Yeah, seg fault. <laughs> you're corrupt, yeah, you're corrupting memory. And so, yeah, so so he liked Java for that. But there was no frameworks about that. We had to develop our own okay. app server written in Java and our own HTML rendering engine. And awesome. did everything. But even after that, no, I think we never we never got to use JSP. Okay. Because we had already built everything ourselves and it was like, well, it's going to be too much trouble to migrate everything. Yeah. But I I I hated the tool set too, like having to compile everything, generate a war and then oh. like deploy it in some enterprise <laughs> kind of app server and Yeah. It was like yeah. Well, I mean, I, I say all this, but that today, you know, we're, we're gener- generating Docker images. So <laughs> what's the what's the difference? Yeah. But you know, it just it was so heavy, and and everything was was complicated. Like you know, like setting a cookie in a browser was like ten lines of code, right? Oh yeah. Like there was no easy way to just oh, I want to set this cookie to this value. Mm. It was like no, no, you gotta you gotta loop, you gotta parse all the cookies yourself. <laughs> and then loop through them and then add your own or replace the cookie that's already there. Oh it was just a mess. So when I discovered Ruby on Rails, I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. Mm. I want to set a cookie. Yeah, this is something that should be simple. And it is simple. Nice. <laughs> and you, you want to handle sessions. It does it all for you. Uh, it was really big on, on uh, security also. Nice. You know, like it, it makes sure that you can't do any SQL injection or cross script uh, remote attacks. Or... Yeah, sure. So yeah, I did everything. So then I was just like, I was sold. All okay. right, this is what I'm using, mm. and I haven't. I mean, I've 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 looked at other things, but uh, like I said, I'm not I'm not the kind of person that's going to say, oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna learn Node now and mm-hmm. and Express, and I'm going to use that. You know, I'm going to learn it all and then I'm going to build something with it. Yeah. Yeah. It's I, more I, like I want to build this and I'm just going to use the toolkit that I know. Yeah. No, it's it's so funny. Like, I mean, I really am the same that like 
I've always just picked, I'm a Java developer. I've been a Java developer for a decade. I know it very well. I understand the ecosystem. I understand the limitations. I understand the security, which matters a lot for me. So this is the first time that I'm like, no, I'm going to seriously think about picking up another language as a piece of fun, but also like, yeah, I, I guess I'm padding my CV to some degree. Yeah, sure. I can do Node. No problem. Hire me to do some freelance Node. That's fine. Um, yeah, because this is typically not something I do. It's like if I learn something, I learn it completely out of necessity. It's like, oh, I want to build a front-end application? Cool. All right. I'm going to have to learn React. I'm going to have to learn a little bit of JavaScript. Right. That's fine. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I like Node. I like the idea of Node because then you just have to master one language. Yeah. You just have to, you know, and then it works on the front end, works on the back end. But uh, the few times I've considered switching to Node, like uh, it still wasn't, there still wasn't a framework that was as advanced as Ruby on Rails. Mm -hmm. So it was like, uh, I'm just going to stick to what I know. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. But yeah, if I had to, if I knew nothing now and I had to learn one thing, I think that's the avenue I would take. Mm. I'd learn JavaScript and then learn you know, a bit of Node so that you can do some server-side stuff. Yeah. And that's it. Yeah. So that's kind of where I've landed. So I I was like, all right, well, let me Google around for like a, you know, a getting started with Node for somebody who already knows how to code. And um, Codecademy popped up. Because Codecademy is for beginners, I think. But anyway, I was like, oh, Codecademy, right. I've been, this was everywhere. I've seen ads for it everywhere. I was like, let me go check that product out and see if there's anything like I would normally do. Because like I've done enough JavaScript to like, I mean, my JavaScript looks disgusting, I'm sure, like to any professional developer. But like, I'm just like, whatever, you know, just get it done. Uh, so I popped up Codecademy and was like playing around with some of their examples. And they've built a really cool little thing but it's something is very funny about just like demolishing something that's not meant for you. So like just going in and thinking like, oh, they, they're like, it's like use console.log to like output stuff. And I'm like, I wonder how they're verifying all of this stuff. And it's like opening up the console and trying to understand like, what have they built to assert the things that I've done? And it's just like picking apart all of the things that they've done is kind of, there's something funny about like, yeah, it's like opening up a toy that's made for children to see like what's inside and like how it, <laughs> how it works. So I was just blasting through their stuff to see if like because there's no chapters. Like I don't know what ch like I'm on I don't know, chapter five or something like that. But like I kind of want to jump ahead because I know the syntax already. I know how it's done for the most part. But it's like okay, get me to like async await. Like that's the stuff I want to understand or like introduce right. me to some ES six features that I don't really get. So, but it was kind of fun to like have a drink and just like muck around <laughs> with their little tool so yeah my, my daughter's taking a intro to computer science class right now in cjep nice and uh they're doing they're learning python okay but but they're doing it all on a web-based uh ide so like the teacher will, will like give them an assignment and uh and the teacher already writes all the the use case the like the unit tests oh nice so then they just have to like write it and then they're able constantly to test whether whether it passes or fails so it's pretty cool but yeah i'm always i'm always curious like how how did they write the use cases or the unit tests you know like, yeah speaking of that i i did a i did a couple deep dives recently um i doubt i dove into the um i guess it's is it doom it's it's the uh 
inverse square root uh, code. Do you know what I'm talking about? The like no. crazy. I'll will send it to you. It's really interesting. It's this uh, when they open source the engine for Doom, um, they needed to do. They have a function that calculates the inverse square root of a. Uh, you need it for vector calculations uh, to compute a normal. And when you look at it from the outside, it's in C. You look at it and you're and it looks like they're they just take like a random hex value and they multiply it by like a division and then they ca- like it is totally crazy. And um, I, I saw this a few years ago and was like, oh, I'll get back to that at some point. But I found an awesome YouTube video that explains, okay, this is what's happening and why they're doing what they're doing. And at some point, they're like taking a float and they're casting the float to a long so they, they can do bit operations on the on the <laughs> on the mantissa of the float. It's wild. It's super cool. Okay. Um, but the other thing that I d- dug into that was fascinating was um, how chess AIs are written. Oh. Because, like, okay. I, I, when I was in school, like, I learned about, like, alpha beta pruning and, like, how you decide, like, you know, what was a good outcome versus a bad outcome, that sort of thing. And it's, a, it's like, a half an hour video. I was enthralled <laughs> by, the, <laughs> by the guy um, talking about how he was, like, building out the game rules and that sort of thing. And then how complex it is to know that you've written the rules correctly. So, like, there are... Because it's like, well, if you've made a mistake, how do you how do you know you've made a mistake? So what they do, so what the community has done is there are agreed on, um, like, I, I, I don't know that they're AIs, but they're little, I don't know, little modules or something that that tell you they help you to understand how many possible moves there are. And the idea is you can have a game board, a few. Um, there's a few like uh, string representations of a of a chessboard, and from that you can ask the question: How many moves are available from this configuration? And you're supp- as a test, you're supposed to test a few well-known configurations from you um, against this provided chess AI and your chess AI. And the idea is that they pr- these configurations present a bunch of like really strange edge cases. And it just helps you verify, okay, I'm evaluating the rules properly because, oh, this was pawn takes pawn en passant, and, uh, oh, I, it wouldn't have worked properly in this case unless I coded this exactly right. So, anyways, really interesting stuff. I'll send you, I'll, I'll post that in the show notes as well. Okay. Yeah. I've gone so far off topic now talking about chess stuff, but. Have you, have you read the book Masters of Doom? No, I've heard of this book, though. It's great. Okay. Yeah, okay. I mean, if you if you were that interested in the in the universal square mm. story, like the the book is is really fascinating. Sick. Okay, I'll definitely read that. Yeah, and it's and it's great. It, you know, it's a great startup story, right? Mm. Carmack baby. Yeah, it's insane what he was able to do with the with the hardware that existed back then. Mm. He he is a fascinating follow on Twitter too, because he's still around, still coding, still ripping up. Because he's uh, he's in VR now. I I know That's he was right. doing stuff with Oculus. I don't know if he still is, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think as of last year, last time I checked, he was. So cool. Yeah, because that's a perfect example. It's it's exactly like Doom. Like you know, the hardware today still has that 
it's still not powerful enough. It still has that little bit of lag. Mm. And that little bit of lag means everything. It means, you know, the difference between getting motion sickness and not being able to play yeah. to having an amazing experience. And, yeah. and yeah, he's the right guy for the job. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Find a way to push the hardware. Yeah. Yeah, he's wicked interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I think part of my week as well is going to be, I have a, I'm not a really big reader. I don't read that much, um, but I do have a reading list and I've been thinking maybe I'll try my best to cultivate um, a habit or something like that over the next couple of weeks. So just uh, maybe if I can pick up a book that I find really interesting, like it sounds like Masters of Doom uh, would be a good place to start, but just really like trying to pick up a book again and read a little bit. Cause yeah, there's so much I want to get through or I like, this sounds so silly to say, but there's a lot of knowledge in books. <laughs> Turns out, yeah. like, smart people write books, and they have a lot to say. And I would love to, like, hear what they have to say. I just, for whatever reason, I pick up a book, and I, it just takes me back to university. I'm like, I don't want to read this. Really? Oh, yeah. You gotta, yeah, you have to find the right book. I mean, yeah. I like, I, I much prefer books now than reading blogs. Hmm. Like it, yeah, it is longer, so it does take a while to, to find that attention span again yeah. that we've lost. <laughs> oh, I've lost it. It's gone. Yeah, yeah, seriously. Like you're there, and even now it's like, this, this blog post is too long. Can I have it in a tweet? Yeah. <laughs> Can't this be a YouTube video with like exactly. dancing cats or whatever? Yeah, but uh, but no, I, I prefer books these days. Hmm. Yeah, but my rule is like I'll... If after like ten percent of the book, like I, I'm, I'm not loving it. I just, I just stop reading it. Okay. Because yeah, there's just too many books out there, <laughs> and if you're not able to capture my attention, like after ten percent of the book, mm. forget it. Yeah, yeah. Like I really like to. There's a few books that have been when they get recommended so many times, just over and over. I'm like all right, I gotta do this. <laughs> yeah. And like yeah, like Shoe Dog keeps coming up. Um, oh, I don't know this. Uh, Shoe Dog. It's he's it's the founder of Nike. It's the story of the the founder of Nike. Okay. Um yeah, Story Brand is another one that keeps coming up. War of Art has I know you yeah. you're a fan of that one. That one comes up all the time. Um actually I just heard an an interview with him on the Tim Ferriss show a few weeks ago. Oh, really? Yeah, he has a new book coming out. Okay. Um but yeah, there's there's just that consistent list of books that you hear over and over again. It's like, all right, at this yeah. point, there's like, if I don't read these eight books, like I'm just, I'm doing a disservice to myself because everybody says I should read them. Yeah, but that's it. But but I mean, give yourself permission to like to quit mm. though, because otherwise you'll you'll just muscle through it and you're gonna hate it and, and then you'll yeah. never do it again. You'll never read another book again. Yeah, that's very true. Yeah, maybe yeah. it's fun. like often often I'll have like four books that I've started <laughs> and I'm you know because I'll start one and it's like yeah it's okay but uh, this one excites me more so then I'll start another one okay and then ah uh, no in the end this one's not any better so I'll go back to the first mm. <laughs> so you know and, and then after that usually if I if I reach 10% then I usually know whether I'm gonna stick with it or not mm. but yeah but it's I mean that's it there's so many books um and some books are are not meant for you, right? Yeah, totally, totally. <laughs> yeah, like this one one author I forgot his name. Like, but 
he does all these deep biographies. Mm-hmm. Like he he's the one that wrote the the Steve Jobs book and Leonardo da Vinci and but usually I can never get through them because there's they're so for, for they're always like 600 pages or more. Okay. And and yeah, they they start interesting and then all of a sudden I don't it's it's like as if it's a ghost reader that that ghost writer that that continued the book. Right. Like all of a sudden it just it seems like, wait, where is this going? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I just completely lose interest in the story, and then I I never finished them. I don't think I finished a single one of his books. Oh wow! <laughs> yeah. So now I I, get, I don't even try them. Yeah. Even though he always comes out with these really interesting ones. Oh, I would love to read this biography, and then I remind myself, uh, now it's going to be the same. I would love it's to gonna... be able to read these, but yeah, exactly, exactly. I would just love to, but. They're not for me. Like there's something about his writing style that usually it, it starts off interesting and then I lose. I you just I don't know. It, it seems like it loses direction in the middle. Yeah. And then I lose interest. Hmm. So yeah, maybe that's what my mission will be. Like I don't think I'm going to cultivate an entire habit to do it, but it would be nice to like take a few hours because I'm not spending the time guilting over not working on F bars. <laughs> to yeah, exactly. To spend that time productively and maybe. You know, just chill and try to read a book and see if I can see if I can develop a taste again for reading. Yeah, no, exactly. It's it's pretty. I find it's not that hard of a habit to start. Like, my trick was just to tell myself, like, okay, just read ten pages. You know, that's it. Mm-hmm. After that, you can stop and go play video games. Yeah. <laughs> and if it's a good book, after ten pages, you usually no, I'm gonna keep reading. Yeah, so I mean that's really what's going on for me. I'm I'm at a lovely yeah. I'm at a lovely crossroads right now. I feel like all the pressure from the last few even months really has just kind of culminated. The wave has crested and is now forming a trough. And now it's like, oh great, I can I feel like I can relax a little bit. Like I, I still have like a couple meetings this week, but I'm like, oh geez, I got nothing going on. I got like I got a meeting tomorrow <laughs> afternoon. Whatever, like. Eh. Well, good for you. you. You deserve this vacation. Yeah. Yes, very much so. So at this point, it's like, yeah, I'm, I'll be very interested to see how lucrative my shred contracts are. Um, and then from make some financial decisions from there in terms of freelancing, okay. next ideas, that sort of thing. But whatever it is, it's going to involve talking and spending time and breaking bread with more developers. Cool. Sounds like a plan. Yeah. What about you? Was your week as awesome as mine? <laughs> um, no, it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> no. But it was. It was good. It was good. Like uh, I, I, like I said last week, I joined that 100 yeah. paid users in 100 days challenge. Mm-hmm. So, but I didn't want to fall into the hustle and the grind kind of mindset. Totally. It was more like I'm just. It's like it's more like a it, really. It's just an excuse to talk to people. It's just you know, there's a weekly meeting, so so that's really why I was doing it, just to talk to other people that are also building things and mm-hmm. and maybe bounce ideas off one another and ask for advice. So we had our first meeting last week. That was fun. Um, yeah, and of course. I always I always think, ah, oh, you know, I'm not gonna like this. <laughs> I always have all this self doubt, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, I did it. To, push myself to do this but this mastermind of 10 people because i think 
I think over 400 people have joined this challenge. Yeah, it's Anthony has just like he's turned it up, man. Like, yeah, there's yeah, a lot so of so people. <laughs> so, but that's it. But we're you know you're matched up with 10 random people for your mastermind. Okay, so those are the only people you're gonna talk to mm-hmm. in the in the next hundred days. So yeah, so of course I start having all this stuff that oh am I gonna like these people like, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know and no in the end like it was it was great like met some really interesting people interesting things they're working on but yeah it's gonna be it's gonna be fun and for some reason I got six paying customers in the last seven days. God damn. <laughs> Which is I don't know I don't know what that is it's it's like I have a horseshoe up my ass or yeah, something yeah seriously but, oh my god because because I didn't do anything different mm. um so tell me about the groups like you so with ten people I mean that's does that meeting go on for three hours I mean that would be it's <laughs> a lot of people yeah it's no they're only one hour long okay so of course in the first one the first meeting was more like a round table to get to know one another yeah and. Yeah, we quickly said what was our plan for the next week, just so that we have something to be accountable to mm-hmm. when uh, when we talk next week. But otherwise, I think it's going to be just a roundtable, like you know, what what did you do, what worked, what didn't work. So yeah, so we we ended the last meeting with by telling what we what were our plans for the next week, mm-hmm. so that we have something to be accountable for. Right, and uh, I think from now on, it's just going to be a. Re- Resuming what we did and what are our plans for the next week, and then maybe ask for advice if we need help with anything or, or looking for ideas or, or help. Cool. Yeah, it's going to be fun. Nice. So yeah, so my, my plan for this week was, like I said, I didn't want, uh, I wasn't going to start cold emailing people or, you know, <laughs> it's like, yeah, that's not, that's not what I joined to do. So my plan was just all right. I have this new idea for this importer that I want to build. Okay. So I wanted to as quickly as possible to have a proof of concept that it's doable, and then put up a landing page for it, and then start talking to people. Right. To like have people go to the landing page and click request early access. So, and also I thought I should also do a bit more marketing. So I reactivated that Twitter campaign i had right i mean i i I told myself i should rewrite the copy but uh, then i knew oh no if i if i set that as a goal i'm gonna spend a whole week on it forget it i'm just gonna reactivate it and see what happens just so at least it's running in the background while i'm working on this new importer uh so yeah so i rent so it ran for four days and it it immediately like cost me 46 Mm dollars it's incredible how Especially since one of these regions that I was targeting, it was only a, a trickle of traffic that was coming in from it. Like it was, Twitter was almost never showing it. And now all of a sudden, because I guess it's been paused for a few weeks, I reactivated and it, they just bombarded my ad. Like it was everywhere. <laughs> I got 13,000 impressions in four days. Goddamn. Yeah. Uh, but zero signups. So okay. like I, I panicked and paused it again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It's like, all right, this is, uh, it's so hard. It's so hard to judge whether it's going to be profitable, right? Mm. Like, you know, I mean, when I first ran it, I was very lucky that I got a paying customer in the first week of running it. So that sort of like justified the cost of it and it was profitable. So, okay, I can, I can keep doing this. But now 
no, I'm I'm not getting this early luck anymore. Now now it's just doing the bombarding people and people are clicking it and going to the site and not signing up and mm. uh, just bouncing. So right. So yeah, so I paused it. I said, okay, I need to rethink this. I'll I'll look at it next week. Right. So so then I worked on the prototype. So I had this idea for the a way to use WordPress as a headless CMS for your Webflow site. Oh. Because, because I mean, everyone hates WordPress, but uh, I've, I mean, the newest version of WordPress for blogging, the, the interface is pretty sweet. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, it, it has a name, which is like the most useless comment ever. But I, because I, I was using WordPress for blogging recently. And, okay. And uh, yeah, they really, it's pretty nice. Yeah, like you know, you can drop in these components. Like, oh, I wanna, I wanna embed a tweet, and it just, it just embeds magically. And mm-hmm. or you wanna create a table, you wanna create, you know, drop in an image. Is it like the Hemingway editor, something like that? Uh, no, it's Elementor, I think. Oh, Elementor. Oh, okay. I mean, Elementor is really sick too. It's a paid yeah. product, isn't it? But it's a. I don't think. I, I think Elementor. Yeah, I think it's like a paid add-on. Mm-hmm. It's a. It's a plugin. And it's more you use it to do your layout of your yeah. your your whole WordPress site. Mm-hmm. So I don't know what's the name of the actual article, like the the blogging component. Mm-hmm. But I, I we're on the same page. I, I know what you're talking yeah. about. Yeah, but it's but it's the same look and feel. Mm-hmm. It's the same kind of you just drag these components into it, and it's really easy to compose. Cool. And I thought I thought it would be a better blogging engine for for Webflow sites. Oh. So people want their blog to be on their Webflow site, so they have full control of the look and feel of it. Mm-hmm. But uh, but the the CMS editor is really limited in what you can do when you're composing mm-hmm. like a blog post. Sure. So I thought you know this would be the, the best of both worlds. You, you could just use a free Webflow uh, WordPress account. Create your blog post, and then you have all the power of WordPress, like where you can schedule your posts. So I want it to only, you know, to go live in in one week. Mm-hmm. And you could even, I mean, you could even install plugins if you wanted to, like to, to tweet it and all the all that stuff. Totally. But at the minimum, just use it to to make these rich blog posts, mm-hmm. and then have Power Importer just import it into Webflow mm-hmm. and take care of like tagging the categories or the tags and all that totally that's cool yeah so i thought it was a good idea (laughs) so i I started prototyping it and uh yeah like it was easy enough the only problem was that wordpress does have some css styling that has to be there in order for these components that you dropped on the page to be displayed correctly okay so and then of course on your webflow site None of those styles would would exist. Yeah. So but then I got the idea. Oh, but I could just take the CSS, use purge CSS on it, and like you know, just extract the, just the CSS. <laughs> yeah, the minimal CSS needed to display the blog content. But then the rest would be this will be will be styled sure. with Webflow. So so yeah so okay okay this this but I didn't do it. I didn't actually do it. Okay. I, I got you know. Th- my goal is always just to to make sure that I'm I'm going to be able to deliver what I'm promising. Yeah. <laughs> so like I said, okay, I, I can do this. It'll be it'll be easy enough. Uh, so I've been talking to people, 
about it. And yeah, the second I mentioned WordPress, like they, people do a little micro expression of disgust. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, the Webflow people hate WordPress. Okay. And the idea of like, admitting that there's anything good that could come out of WordPress is just too strong. There's no way. So I ditched it. I said, forget it. I'm okay. not I'm not doing this. <laughs> God, that's uh, funny. Yeah. <laughs> if you know if I have to like convince people that oh, there's redeeming qualities of WordPress, uh it's like no 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 stop. Yeah. This is this is witchery. Yeah. Don't talk to me about WordPress. <laughs> I can't hear you over the sound of my own vomit. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, so that didn't look promising for marketing. Mm. So, yeah, I ditched it. Um, uh, yeah, just so I spent a few days on it. Uh, but it was fun. It was, it, <laughs> I was doing what I like doing. Yeah. Proto- prototyping, hacking, proving if something is doable or not. Because that's, I love the idea of just like using Purge CSS and just like pulling down the only the minimal amount and then injecting right. that as a sheet into uh, into a Webflow page. Like that would be, I mean, that's really funny just right yeah. off the bat. But yeah, oh my god, <laughs> yeah. And that's the that's the funny thing about it is that when I realized I needed the CSS, then I was like discouraged. Oh, there's no way. And I don't want to have to go and like pull all these these custom WordPress classes and recode them myself to work with WordPress yeah. uh, to to work with Webflow. Yeah, it's like forget it. I don't want to do that. It's gonna take way too long. It's gonna be so error prone. Mm-hmm. Uh, but so then I, I I stopped for the day and went on the couch. And it came to me while I was on the couch just reading. I was like, wait a second, I could use Purge CSS. <laughs> Make this one blog article to rule them all yeah that has every single component imaginable in it and then just run purge css on that mm-hmm. and there you go those those are my styles yeah purge css is a such a cool tool yeah oh man that's i i mean it's it's super cool to think that that's even technically possible like oh yeah you can, you can do that but it's yeah. equally <laughs> as funny that everyone hates it <laughs> and that's the thing about talking to people it makes all the difference like you know if i can't if i can't even talk about it with them without them showing disgust in yeah. their face like then okay. how the hell am i gonna yeah. convince strangers on the internet mm. get it out of curiosity um who did you talk to and where did, how did you find them where where were they well i often i often talk on the phone with with um with customers okay or people that are in the Webflow community. Mm. So whenever I have an opportunity, like I'll I'll bring it up. Okay. So like so this week I talked with uh, with Niall. He runs a No Code Tech. Mm-hmm. So he he's thinking of using Power Importer for his site for like uh, the whole section with tutorials. Okay. So we, so yeah so the 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 reason for the call was that he wanted to find out if Power Importer would solve all his problems that he has right now with right. it and then afterwards you know he asks so like what so what else are you working on or you know what what else is coming okay so then yeah perfect opportunity this is it i'm gonna ask him right and he was he was even telling me about his mom like his mom's using wordpress for her site oh wow yeah and she was complaining about blogging with it you know because um because 
when you're using the CMS, like sometimes it will time out or oh, yeah. whatever, right? <laughs> yep. Yep. And it won't it won't save what you just did. Yeah. But imagine if you you've been writing a blog post, right? Maybe you've been writing for an hour, like, mm. and you've been so so yeah. And here I was like getting all excited. Yes, this is perfect. This is a perfect use case. Mm. And uh, but then once I mentioned WordPress, he was like, yeah. <laughs> he was like, no, nah, I don't think I would I would use WordPress for that. Mm. Yeah. And other people I've talked to. How um is blogging a common use case for webflow i just i just know nothing about how webflow is actually used well i, th- I think yes but i think a lot of the web webflow jobs are like people creating marketing sites for other people right so like they're so yeah someone wants to revamp with their site and then someone will convince them to use webflow because then afterwards they'll be able to manage the content themselves and mm. make modifications themselves right and i think i think the blog is always an afterthought it's like yeah yeah you'll be able to blog also and you know i'll set up the cms for you to to blog Mm -hmm. but i don't know how many people actually blog Mm -hmm. with webflow right like maybe maybe they'll write three things just to have some content there but they don't actually blog regularly right Mm -hmm. Or, or maybe they blog in something else and then cut and paste the html into yeah into the cms but yeah, I mean, because I've 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 been researching this for a while now. Like, whenever people are talking about blogging with Webflow, mm-hmm. and to me, it just seems like an inefficient way. And the tool is really not made for for blogging, right? Especially if you've tried WordPress or any other a real blogging platform. Mm-hmm. Then you go to work to Webflow and you look at the CMS. It's really it's it's made so that you can. You can write rich text in the CMS, and then it will display it as HTML in your design. But I think it's not really meant for blogging, right? Right. Fair enough. So yeah. So, but uh, but I think I I think there's still a need for a migration tool from WordPress to Webflow. Mm. So that is is probably what I'm going to work work on next. Oh, that's I mean, pretty interesting. Yeah, I think because then I don't have the problem of people <laughs> hating WordPress. Because yeah. that's that's what a migration tool is for, mm-hmm. <laughs> and a lot of the same prototyping I did last week is going to be reusable. Totally, that's a very interesting use case. I'm just thinking, like, of the people who use WordPress today, are they using the the free version of WordPress? Well, I guess when I say free, I mean like, cause it's always hosting. That's always the, uh, the trouble with, with all of this is yeah. where is it hosted? Cause even on, like I hosted my blog on Tumblr for a while and I mean, it's not WordPress, it's Tumblr, but you can point your domain at it and it, it yeah. works. Is, do people pay for WordPress today? Like if, if I were just running a blog, like do I pay for it? I think so. Okay. Yeah. Like you, you can go to wordpress.com and create a free blog mm-hmm. Or a, well, a free site, and it will run on a subdomain. Mm-hmm. Uh, but very quickly, you're gonna run into into problems where you have to pay WordPress to, to yeah. host it. Yeah. Like if you want to install a plugin, I think you have to pay. Yeah. If you want your custom domain, you have to pay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And and then and then that's with WordPress. But otherwise, I mean, there's also thousands of companies out there that offer WordPress hosting. 
where because WordPress is still open source, mm -hmm. it's still freely available. So yeah, they will they will host it for you. Yeah, I know that that's a very competitive market. Yeah, like SiteGround and Bluehost and all these yeah, guys. Exactly. Like it's, it's all just shared hosting, and they just cram as many yeah WordPress instances on a on a node as they can. Exactly, and then who knows how often they update the the software, so then you can have security issues. No, I, I understand why the Webflow community hates WordPress. It has its its baggage. Yeah, totally. <clears throat> but if you're being objective, <laughs> you, you have to give them that their blogging engine is designed for blogging. Yeah, I, yeah. It's been doing that for for what 20 years yeah you are you are goddamn right sir that is very true it, it, man actually you know i never really thought about it like that before but that's so true if you want to run a blog damn it wordpress is great if you want to yeah. turn wordpress into an e-commerce solution with all exactly. of this stuff oh it can do it you might not yeah. ever be able to update wordpress again but it'll do what you want no exactly that's the problem is when you're trying to use it it's, it's like the og no code tool yeah if you're trying to use it for like to make a membership site or or a marketplace then yeah there's plugins you can install but then it it becomes a mess yeah the next plugin you install breaks the previous plugins you have and yeah you want to change the style the the, the look of the the site well then a bunch of stuff's gonna break and, yeah and then you have then you have to keep updating the software for security reasons and that will break stuff yeah <laughs> it's just yeah endless so that's why i'm building a migration tool to save people from that yeah <laughs> yeah because i've seen so many people struggle migrating like they the first the first thing they say was install a plugin because there's no way to export your word your wordpress content as a csv file of course so, so the first thing they say is install a plugin so then, you know, you have to install this plugin to export it as CSV. Uh -huh. And then, okay, now you can import it to Webflow because it because Webflow supports importing CSVs. Yeah. But then you have all the limitations of, of their CSV import. Mm -hmm. um, so my, my solution is like, no, just use the native export of that WordPress gives you that produces this XML file. Mm -hmm. And the XML file has all the content. You know, it has the categories, the tags, the authors, the posts. And then I can read all that and do all the reference fields mm -hmm. between those entities in your Webflow collections. Mm -hmm. So I think there's a, there's, there's a market for that from all the talking to people I've done. Cool. My, my big question is, is going to be about pricing. Mm -hmm. like right now, I, I charge per Webflow site. Mm -hmm. And since this this is pretty much just a one time tool, yeah, like it it doesn't feel doesn't feel like a, the right match. Mm. Like it it seems like people are gonna be they're gonna be churning like hundred mm. percent on it. So would would do you think this would be better served as just a free thing? Like oh, it's just a free piece of marketing material. I guess it depends on how difficult it is to maintain it over the long term. But yeah, but I mean, I have I have server costs. To, to run this on my side. True. No, the way I'm seeing it more is as a an agency tool. Mm. So maybe an agency would pay, I don't know, hundred bucks a month to have this tool, and it and then they can migrate unlimited amount of WordPress sites right. on on behalf of their customers. Mm. 
because that's really the that's the most common scenario I've talked to people about is they're migrating someone's site from WordPress to Webflow mm. and they're doing a whole redesign but then to actually transfer over the data mm. you know sometimes they'll hire someone to do that oh wow okay. or, do, or they'll just tell the owner of the site to do it themselves okay okay then this is a great alternative yeah yeah but it's not the it's not as exciting as something that generates MRR. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, unless unless I do find a sweet spot where an agency is willing to just pay the monthly fee and forget about it. Yeah. Especially if you bundle it together with Power Importer. Like, oh, it's the Power Importer bundle. We do WordPress. We do this. We do that. It's just like a an upsell. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I don't know how to bundle it, though. It would be like... Yeah I, still have, yeah, I still have to think about it. Yeah. But I see what you, it's, it, this is such a cool observation because it's something that's born completely out of just talking with people in the space. So yeah. it's very intriguing. And I think there's plenty of other examples of tools like that, whereas, you know, they're basically, it's for agencies and small studios that are doing lots of these sites for other people. Mm-hmm. And they, they often have all these, these same migration problems. So while I was working on that i i had also started working on the marketing page for it okay because often i find it helps me to to write the copy for the landing page to to know whether i'm building the right thing yeah (laughs) it's like hey let me explain it to you why why you should buy this and it's like oh well wait i should do that then (laughs) so yeah so because i was redesigning I was building that new page. I also finished redesigning my Airtable Sync okay. importer page. I haven't launched it yet, but uh, okay. but I think I'm I'm happy with the the copy on it now. Awesome. Is it a full on redesign or is it mainly copy? Yeah, it's mainly copy. Okay. Yeah, it's like it's, I shuffled stuff around in the layout in the order in which it is. Right. Uh, went to more details about on the features, but like writing it as a benefit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not perfect. It's not, it's still ugly, of course. <laughs> but no, but actually, I think I did fix something. Like, I, I always found it weird, right? Like, maybe it's just because my customers are all designers. Like, that's why they're telling me my site is ugly. But but then I tested it on a, on a retina screen. Oh. And yeah, there's a few things I was doing with CSS that, that just did not work on a retina screen. I could have sworn I've been looking at it on a retina screen, and I don't know, like what what was it specifically? Like you were looking at it at full re- full resolution. Like, yeah, like I'm on a MacBook Pro, and it has a, a retina screen. Okay. <laughs> now I, I'm I'm going back to powerreporter.com <laughs> to see see what it was that I'm not seeing. Um, I think wait, which page was it though? So it's the Airtable to Webflow. Yeah, I think that one. Uh, learn more. Like basically, is the whole page. Like uh, the whole first section of the site, does it take up the whole page? Yeah. And the content is really small, like middle centered in the in the well, in the page. Well, I don't know about li- I don't know about small. Like it's it's a, there are margins, so it's centered on the page. But like when I load the page, it shows up as the whole page. Like I can scroll down, but it's not it's not clear that I can scroll down, but I can. Right, but that's it. I mean, I think that's that's the problem is that I was using. The unit vertical height. Okay. When I was just trying to make the first section to be the to, to fill up the whole screen, mm-hmm. 
and then you would scroll to the other sections but on a retina screen like it just made it that the whole screen is like all white and you have this tiny small block of content in the center of it I mean, I don't know about tiny. I it looks totally normal to me. If you if you asked me if there was something wrong, I would say no. Okay. Well, anyways, I thought I I, I compared it to other sites and there. Yeah, okay, I I can see maybe that is one of the biggest problems with the site. Hmm. So I fixed that. Okay. <laughs> but otherwise, it's all the same colors, all the same blockiness. Right. It doesn't have any animations. <laughs> doesn't hijack scrolling no it does not hijack scrolling so yeah so it sucks <laughs> uh, so web 1.0 gross yeah exactly <laughs> so yeah so but so yeah so i redesigned that um and then i've been i've been brainstorming a side project that i want to launch which requires reaching out to collaborators. Side project as in for Power Importer or? Yeah, yeah, it's, um, I don't think I want to go into too much detail yet. Yeah, sure. Because I think it's a really good idea and I don't want anyone to steal it. <laughs> but uh, yeah, basically it's it's going to be a, a, it's a, it's a website for, for people who want to start no code no code sites. Okay. So it's a tool for for no coders. Have we talked about this before? Yeah. Okay, I know what. Okay, In I know private, what you're talking about. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah, so cool. I got to talk to collaborators to work with me on it. Yeah. And um and yeah, and I think I'm I'm also researching affiliate programs mm-hmm. or referral programs. Right. Cuz cuz for this site it's it's a good fit. Totally. But also like people constantly ask me like for if I have an affiliate program or do I have a referral program? Oh, and like I've always been on the fence about it. Like, oh, I don't know if I want to get into this. Like, I've read some good stories about affiliate programs, but I've also read some bad ones. Yeah. So yeah, it's it's. I mean, I I also talked to someone that uh, that is also in the Webflow ecosystem. Mm-hmm. Oh, won't say his name because I don't know if. It, I don't. It might have been in confidence that he told me this. Sure, yeah. But uh, yeah, like he's he's also same as me. Didn't never considered or well, considered the affiliate program. Decided against it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do. I don't know much about affiliates. Like, I, I guess there's always like affiliate affiliate marketing sites that you see every now and then. Like, I guess that's what. Um, like for insurance purposes, I had to go and get antivirus software. Uh, oh, which I'm gonna be able to get rid of now, <laughs> as part of the <laughs> as part of the agreement when you sign up to Plaid. Um, they're like, draw a you know, um, give us like a, a topography of your system and that sort of thing, just to make sure you're not doing like completely idiotic stuff with customer data. And one okay. of the things I said was, all right, well, I'm gonna get antivirus software, um, and that was they recommended or whatever. But anyway, I don't know if I needed it, but I have it. But there's all these affiliate sites for antivirus software where they they sort, but they they rank them based on different things and whatever. And they're just massive affiliate programs. They're just legion yeah. sites, like yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, and no, that's it. And I I don't want that. I don't want someone just creating garbage content. Yeah, just in the hopes that they're gonna get an affiliate 
kickback from me. Mm-hmm. But I mean, all these people that are asking for it. Well, first of all, most of the time they are they are paying customers. I mean, that's huge. So in that case, it, I think it's they probably just want to add the link to the footer of their site to say yeah. it's you know built by Power Importer or or when they tell other people that they use Power Importer, they want to they want to kick back totally. So so yeah so so there's that. There's also what they call a referral program instead, mm-hmm. where usually instead of just getting uh, a check, you you just get credit right. on your your paid plan your paid plan. Mm-hmm. So for the paying customers, that that seems like an easier solution. But the but the, my big question is how much to give. Mm. Like you know, like that's that's the hard part. Mm. It's like I'm I'm willing to give. I'm willing to be generous because I know that you know, like online advertisement is not cheap, and mm-hmm. you know, if I can save there, like it's it's worth it. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I don't want to to be giving too much where where my my profit margins go down really low and then I can't afford to to pay a, a marketer or to yeah. to hire help with customer support or yeah. you know these these scaling issues where mm. I'm going to need to hire people to help I need to have that money yeah I remember Justin Jackson talking about an affiliate program with Transistor and I don't remember if he discussed it on Art of Product or maybe it was somewhere else but I'm sure he would have a ton of very interesting things to say around affiliate marketing because they did it. Um, lessons learned or it, even if it's just like a, hey, you probably want to think about X. Like even, even if right. it's just un- unveiling a few of the unknowns, I mean, that would be huge. Hmm. Yeah, and actually, I, I think I, I did see Justin Jackson on the homepage of the service I was considering using. Uh, huh. <laughs> There's a site called... Get Rewardful, I think. Yeah, yeah. I see uh, there's a guy from Rewardful in the MicroConf Connect Slack. Okay. Um, that I see very often. Because, yeah, they connect directly to Stripe. So, they, you know, if if what you're selling is a subscription in Stripe, they can just do it automatically. Mm-hmm. And they seem to be, like, full-featured. Like, you can you can set up anything you want. You mm-hmm. can have You can have a percentage with a cap or a one-time That's referral cool. fee. Uh, they they handle refunds also. Yeah, you know, like if, so the person that got referred asks for a refund. Well, then you gotta you gotta get a refund from your your affiliate payment. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. So yeah, take care of all that that hassle. I'm definitely willing to pay someone to do that. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, so I'm 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 still thinking about it. Yeah, uh, it's very interesting. Like, because it could be even if it's a. Even if it was one of those things where you bring on an affiliate for, or use some affiliate marketing for a little bit, and then you start to zero in on, well, where are these affiliates bringing people in from? Like, if it's if there's better, if you can do any sort of channel attribution to understand where these people are coming from, I mean, that can be very insightful. Even if it costs you some money to do, could be could be interesting. Yeah, I mean, I think I think that's it. I think. Starting, I guess, starting low and testing it. Yeah, I mean, that's a good point. Like not, you know, maybe put a, a cap so only pay for a certain percentage of the first year. Yeah. yeah. Of of uh, affiliate revenue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think it's super interesting. I, I think this is a great little test. 
And if it doesn't end, if it ends up not costing you much, or at least if you learn something, like, I mean, maybe it's like really profitable. Like what if you open an affiliate program where like all of a sudden you just have a bunch of like affiliates who understand no code that are just out there like putting out sick content and kicking you back fees and you're getting the right customers that aren't churning. Because that's the thing I think about like power importer is pretty niche. So like. It's not like somebody setting up a crazy link honeypot somewhere and just like trying to get people to, you're not selling Livestrong bracelets, right? So it's, <laughs> you're not going to get like a bunch, you're not going to, I would imagine anybody who signs up for what you're doing is going to be pretty targeted to, to Webflow and <laughs> what they need to yeah, do. Yeah. So it's, exactly. So I mean, it, yeah. It's a small community and I'm sure it's just going to be like legitimate stuff that people are going to, of going to build. Mm-hmm. Right, they're gonna build tutorials like here. I built this. Um, I built this job board, mm. and and then they'll put all the links to each tool that they used, and mm. and yeah, the the Power Importer link will have an affiliate ID on it. Yeah, because like this is kind of crazy to think about, but like, wouldn't it be interesting if there was someone who was like, awesome? My entire goal is to just build an inventory of every no code newsletter out there. And then they just do affiliate. So they use their inventory of no code newsletters and they just basically run affiliate experiments of marketing against that, those newsletters, understand how they behave and how they convert and figure out if it's profitable and then just do affiliate. Basically, they're like, they, they are more or less like a platform of no code newsletters that just remarket for you or something like that. <laughs> and it's like their job is just understanding how well these channels convert. Like I, I, I could it'd be very interesting if something like that existed, but I don't know. It feels like a, an ingenious marketing kind of person thing to do. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, there are a lot of newsletters right now, mm. so I'm sure they might be interested in affiliate programs. Mm. Like podcasts too. Po- podcasts. I'm endlessly interested in because i feel like i was having a conversation with my wife about this a few months ago like if if they want to start doing lead generation or anything like that it's like it it feels like there's so many interesting niche podcasts out there where just really smart people are having cool conversations and maybe their total addressable market is like or i don't know audience is like 300 people or something like that and it's like maybe they're not that interested in getting another ad for a mattress but like if you're you know coming out and it's like oh actually a bunch of webflow users all listen to the podcast about conspiracy theories or true crime or something like that it's like oh yet another true crime podcast but you know you pay them a hundred bucks or something and it covers their hosting fees and some of their work and it buys them a beer or something like that and maybe they read the 30 second ad like that could be really interesting i wonder if that attention is just underpriced but just so disparate that it can't it's difficult to uh, difficult to talk to them and get your ad in place. Yeah, that that's such a that's such a big topic. Yeah. <laughs> like advertisement in podcasting is is so broken right now. But I think I think companies like Spotify are, that that's what they're trying to solve. I think. Yeah. Like they're trying to get everyone all the podcasts on their platform now, and then eventually they'll be able to to just insert. You know, ads that are targeted at Matt doesn't even have to do yeah. anything to do with what podcast you're listening to. Yeah. You know, here's some ads that are targeting Matt. Yeah. Which makes more sense because otherwise, each podcast that only has a hundred listeners mm. can't get any ad advertisers. Mm. 
Yeah, because I know they do that. Like I've I've heard that uh, there's a few ad networks that do that. Like they'll serve your ad, and you tell them at what time points you want to run ads, and then they will do personalization based on the. Like for iTunes, for example, based on the Apple profile of the person who's downloading. So when you download the episode, they'll stitch the ad based on your IP address, other things. They'll stitch the ad into the episode and then right. and then you download it from them. So that you, when you listen to Planet Money from NPR or whatever, you're getting uh, Canada-centric ads. Yeah, or whatever. I've noticed that. I've noticed that word. There's a few podcasts that I've downloaded, and all of a sudden the ads are are like targeting Montrealers. I was like, oh, wow. that that can't be a coincidence. Yeah, like, yeah. I don't. I, there's no way that all listeners of this podcast are hearing this ad about Montreal. Like, yeah, it's most likely just me, based on my IP address. You know it'll be true when you start to get ads in French in an English podcast. <laughs> exactly. But yeah, it's endlessly interesting. It's just like, how can uh, how can small fries make a little bit of money? And maybe they have a very interesting audience. But I mean, yeah, at yeah. this point, it's it's so difficult to get access to them and even know what their audience is like, because they probably don't even know. But that's it. And, and for the podcaster, like realistically, if you have 100 listeners, you know, like you're not... You're not going to make any money from that, right? Yeah, and it's true. Like, do, it's but, like, I'll give you 10 bucks <laughs> to read this yeah, ad. Exactly. It's like, that's not worth it. Exactly. <laughs> like, what, what is one listener worth, right? Yeah. But for the advertisers, like, like they, don't, they don't care. If you give me a 1,000 podcasts with 100 listeners each, mm. like, I don't know how much overlap there is, but it's a pretty big sample. I'm, mm. I'm willing to pay to, to target that. You get a mattress ad, and you get a mattress ad, and you get a mattress ad. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, how long before podcast is ruined with advertisement? Yeah. Well, I mean, Twitter just launched their, like, uh, subscribe, pay to subscribe to people's tweets. And Apple did, too. Pay to subscribe to people's podcasts, that kind of thing. Yeah. So hopefully those are ad-free. Yeah. Paywalls for all the podcasts. Mm. That's the term I'm looking for, paywall. So yeah, I don't know. I mean, I guess like when it, taking it back to affiliates, like there's some very smart people out there that are <laughs> that are uh, saying that they lurk <laughs> makes them sound not like great people, but you know they they're very smart and they have a lot. Some people treat this like a game. So I'm very interested to see if there's some affiliates out there that are just waiting for the right the right program to come along so they can just flip the switch and and uh and make some money on their on the research they've been doing yeah i mean i think yeah i mean i think i'm just gonna go for it yeah i think uh i mean it's it's very compatible with this side project i want to do yeah definitely but even but even if the side project takes a different direction like doesn't use affiliate Mm. then um i have enough people that have asked for it that just giving it to them and see what they do totally should be easy enough and then i'll see whether it's whether it's viable whether i advertise it whether i email all my customers and tell them about it totally cool sounds like fun yeah <laughs> <laughs> i can't wait to see how how easy it is right with air quotes yeah like there there seems it seems like there must be a catch it can't be that easy it's well I, i'm willing to bet that um well, willing to bet. I, I mean, my hypothesis would be 
that you understand the community very well. And if there was some hidden, gigantic hidden pool of people that you didn't know about, that would be kind of a surprise to me. So chances are that, like, I, I think about Transistor as an example. It's like, well, they do the podcast publishing, but it's not like, oh, I'm going to slash r slash podcasts, like, obviously, but for them, they're probably like, oh, how many verticals can I take podcasting to and 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 get over there? So like zoos, zoos need to bring on like, oh, I have this audience of zookeepers, like I got to run the, got to give them a chance to publish their zoo podcast. But like, trend, like, you know, Justin's not thinking about zoos, he's just thinking about podcasters in general. So it's like, my guess is that the really, the really successful affiliate programs are probably these like cross-functional products where people go to underserved audiences or audiences that are waiting to be technically enabled and they just start mining them for for leads. So my guess is that you know where the Webflow people are um, and it'll probably just be small places where people hang out where you're just not present or maybe you haven't seen, but they would be, I can't imagine them being very large. Otherwise you would know about them. I mean, that that's my hypothesis, but you know, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I, I wonder how many people are just sitting on the fence right now like mm. they would they would like to talk about power importer publicly like making videos about it or blog posts about it mm. but they're like but there's no affiliate program so uh, uh, i'm gonna do one about zapier instead yeah yeah <laughs> you know like because that's that's what would really make a difference mm. is that all of a sudden these people would make the effort to to make a demo with Power Importer instead of Zapier. That's a great point. That's a great point. Well, only way to know is to try. Exactly. I'll just try it. Cool. And I guess there's nothing prevent me from just turning it off at one point. Yeah. Like to, to, to do affiliates. Obviously, you you have to pay your, your previous yeah. affiliates, but you can close it down to new ones and just let it churn out. Yeah. Sounds like fun. So yeah, I wanted to get go back to your vacation again. <laughs> yeah. Just a quick question, because sure. you're gonna you're gonna play around with with technology and uh, and start playing with ideas and all that. What what's gonna prevent you from falling back into the trap of of coming up with an idea and then just going with it, like building it before actually testing it? Yeah, that's a great question. I think the um. The way I want to spend my time is just talking with people. Like, I, I really want to, I want to, I want to write a little bit more. I don't know. Like, tell me what you think about this, but I don't know how many people you have to talk to before you start to get positive signals that something is actually required. But I think it's one of those things that, I mean, it might take months of really, like, really talking to a lot of people and understanding things viscerally and embedding yourselves and yourself in a community and talking with people constantly and feeling like you have this constant influx of people before you can really, like, start thinking concretely about what a solution might be. I mean, maybe maybe it depends on what the problem is. I don't know. But I want, like, <laughs> I want to say, oh, I've totally learned the lesson. I'm not going to do that again. But, like... That's kind of bullshit. You, it's, you can't claim that. Like, that's, that's just, like, an impossible claim to make. So No, no. I guess where I am is just thinking, like, okay, well, I'm fresh off of doing the thing that everyone does, so I need to not do that thing. And I know it involves talking with a lot of people. And I know I want to talk to developers. And 
you know, doing some fun coding projects and that kind of thing would be fun for just me. So maybe it's just like I build calculators in Node <laughs> or just like yeah, exactly. silly little web projects. And then, you know. Yeah, that might be a good, a good strategy is just to make sure that it's not <laughs> a business idea. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, that I mean, I'm just going to rebuild another to-do list. <laughs> exactly. Honestly, that's kind of what I was thinking. Like just building the simplest little projects and writing about them a little bit. Like you know, um, stretching my stretching my writing, uh, yeah. and my writing muscles. It's been a little while since I've really written something of substance. So, kind of one of the things I've been thinking about is going and just really peeling through Julian Shapiro's stuff again. He's an excellent writer reading a lot of what David Perel has written, looking at his essays and trying to develop a taste for what I like and why, and trying to pick apart why I like it um, and just develop my own style. I just need to be, I need to be reading and I need to be writing. Um, and I think, yeah, just doing non-committal things. <laughs> it's just that I need to be in the mindset of not worrying too much about just doing something for the hell of it and not committing yeah. to it. Just talk to people. I'll just write a little bit, a little bit of code. Don't worry about trying to monetize it. Don't, don't spend all don't don't trade off um, talking to people for writing code. Don't pretend like you're building some project you're going to monetize. Just hack around. Yeah, but talking to people for three four months that's that seems long. Yeah, I, I guess I threw it out there because I don't I don't know how long to talk to people for. I just want to I I want to come in with the frame of mind that I don't know what people want and I need to stop assuming that I do, and I feel like. Not tr- I have a problem of overcommitting to things, of overcommitting, like j- jumping. What's the right way to say this? Like feeling like every step forward that I take has to be taking me towards the destination. It's like I always have this 10k MRR idea in my head, and if I don't, if I do this thing, it has to be in service of that, and. Sure, that's where I want to go, and ideally, that's I'm going in that direction, but it's a wandering path. And that if I try to commit too hard to something, I wind up in an F-bar situation where I'm like, oh, but I gotta I gotta take the straightest line. But right. but the straightest line is not <laughs> you might not make it. <laughs> like be less committal, talk to people more. Like I, I don't know if I'm saying it right, but hopefully it's coming across. Just take things less seriously. And do be more adventurous because I yeah. yeah or try to try to get as many options as possible yeah yeah like I I, I felt like I was saying a little bit earlier like I've lost perspective on what it's like to be a developer as a profession and like I've only been under the game for a little bit but it's like I I was so overcome or overcome I was so I was so overwhelmed with burnout that. I didn't want to think about being a developer anymore. I didn't want to think about working in a team, working under somebody or over somebody, whatever. Like I just, I didn't want to be a developer. And now I'm starting to realize now that I'm overcoming my burnout a little bit, I'm realizing that I really do love developers. Sometimes they're anal people, <laughs> but that's, but it's endearing. Sometimes it's endearing. And I, I want to help those people. And it's so funny, like with all of the shred work I've been doing, I talk to developers and I just get jealous. I'm like, oh, these guys are writing all this cool code and building cool shit. Like I want to build cool shit. And it's like, <laughs> oh, these are my people. Like I'm at home with these people. And uh, I want to I wanna get back into bed. I want to get back into bed with these guys and, 
and uh, and remember what it's like to live that life. Because now I'm in a position of maybe when I was working at a job, I was in more of like a victim position of just like these things are happening to me and I have no control. But now it's like, well, but now I can turn the tables and say, well, there is a problem. And actually, maybe I can even help with that. But understanding what that problem is, is only going to come through more conversation and testing and, and that sort of thing. So I think, yeah, I think this is going to be like a plan. I, I think this is going to be one of those things we have to do. It needs to be a part of our weekly checkup. Matt, <laughs> are you talking to people? You're, you seem to be building something. You're not going to try to charge money for that, are you? <laughs> All right. That'll be my job. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Matt. I'll put that on our but no, prep list. No, it does it does sound like you you genuinely genuinely do want to talk to people instead of write code. Yeah. So, so I think you're you're gonna have to find a balance at one point. Yeah. Yeah. Of like, okay, I've, I've, and it's not so black and white. But at one point, you have to say, okay, I've spoken to enough people mm-hmm. that I've all expressed this problem here. Yeah. And then, yeah, not jump into I'm gonna write code for three months, mm-hmm. but but like. What can I what can I build to like start getting feedback from them? Mm-hmm. I, honestly, I'm fascinated by one of the things I, I thought about when I when I left work and was trying to come up with you know well before I left work and trying to understand value is you know what do, what is it that people really want to buy? And when I was listening through Art of Product and I listened to Ben talk about how he pre-sold Tuple, it was just mind blowing that like. Because in all my life in software development, um, I've finally been able to put words to this um, after thinking about it quite a lot, that in engineering orgs, well, in any company in general, you can split a person's time into a cost center or a profit center. And cost centers, nobody wants to invest in a cost center. They All they do is cost you money. And in... I think in most orgs, in non-tech companies, for example, you have to ask, I, and I think this is a good question to ask yourself whenever, if you're taking a new job or anything, is I'm going to become an engineer in this organization. Is this team I'm in a cost org, or a cost center, or is it a profit center? Because you think about something like Salesforce. Oh my God, Salesforce is expensive, but salespeople are a profit center. So of course you would invest in your profit center. You want to make more money. And granted, like, sure, Salesforce does a bunch of things to help make you money, but they charge a lot of money. So you look at it and it's like, that's a very interesting way to think about how how a company with engineers in it wants to spend their money. And I look at companies like Shopify, where engineers are the, they are the pinnacle of profit center. Like that's how they make money is through hiring great engineers. So I've been really interested to study these kind of organizations and understand like, how is it that you, what is it that you're looking for? Because like to draw that back to what Ben was doing pre-selling Tuple, like it's amazing that he, I mean, he just sees the world very differently than I do because I'm scarred from like, oh, I would like to run my SQL through a client and not just through the command line. It costs $5 a month and to have you to have your manager be like, no, we're, we can't possibly pay for that. That's, no, where any money spent on engineering, even if it made you 50% better is, is a no, just because there's a dollar amount associated with it. Yeah. But he came from a background and had a belief that organizations care about engineering enough that they will invest in their engineers and they pay for tools like this. And it's funny because that's just not the 
that's just not my history. That's not the story that I have inside me. So understanding those types of organizations, I think is just going to be totally key for understanding how to be able to pre-sell. Cause I mean, that's something that I, I, I it's, it's so, <laughs> it's, it's so crazy to think that you could pre-sell an engineering product because you're overcoming like all these like terrible beliefs that I have, but it's totally possible. And maybe I have to step into that box of reality where, where pre-selling an engineering tool is actually possible in order to stand a better chance of making it. Yeah, no, that's good. That's a, they will also guide you in like in your research. Yeah. Like to know what kind of problems to look for. And, totally. Or, or at least do the triage of what kind of problems you think will mm. will be a better fit for something that you can pre-sell. Yeah. Then. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a crazy world out there and <laughs> the more I like think about it, the more I realize I understand so little of it. And I don't yet know like how much you have to understand in order to make progress, but I think through microconf and the podcasts that i listen to i have enough i've seen this template enough times that i can reach out to some of them and say hey like what did you understand about this or like because i mean i'd love to have a beer with ben and and ask him like and and kind of just say say the same thing that i just said to him and say you know what did you understand that i didn't or what gave you confidence or how did you know how did you know what to ask but yeah, I, I I agree. I think like being able to triage these problems and understand how to understanding how to sell is just going to come more from talking to people and understanding how hard things are. Sounds like a good plan. Yeah, here's hoping. Yeah, that's really it for me. I don't know. Do you have anything else? Nope. Okay. Sweet. All right, I'm gonna have a beer and play Stellaris. <laughs> <laughs> well, enjoy. Yeah, I will. <laughs> I'll catch you next week. Yep. All right, man. Talk to you next week. See you later. Bye. Bye.